Our scripture text this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 14, and we will be reading verses 1 through 12. Welcome the person who is weak in faith, but not in order to argue about differences of opinion. One person believes in eating everything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Those who eat must not look down on the ones who don't, and those who don't eat must not judge the ones who do, because God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servants? They stand or fall before their own Lord, and they will stand because the Lord has the power to make them stand. One person considers some days to be more sacred than others, while another person considers all days to be the same. Each person must have their own convictions. Someone thinks that a day is sacred, thinks that the way... Thinks that way for the Lord. Those who eat, eat for the Lord because they thank God. And those who don't eat, don't eat for the Lord. And they thank the Lord too. We do not live for ourselves and we do not die for ourselves. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or whether we die, we belong to God. This is why Christ died and lived so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you look down on your brother or sister? We all stand in front of the judgment seat of God. Because it is written, As I live, said the Lord, Every knee will bow to me, and every tongue will give praise to God. So then, each of us must give an account of ourselves to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, you may have anticipated this day, or you may be wishing to spend more time in the book of Romans, but we are drawing to a close in our kind of walk through the book of Romans. Now, there's a couple more chapters after chapter 14, so I would encourage you to read them, right? That's a good thing. Uh, But for now, this is kind of where we're ending. And, And it's been kind of a long journey for us as we've gone from kind of Paul's initial thoughts on the book of Romans in chapter one, as Paul works his way through talks about how we are all kind of lost and and unable to find our way out of our own paper bag of sin, and how God comes and in Christ delivers us from sin and from death and enables us by the power of the Spirit at work within us to live lives holy and true and righteous unto God. He he talks about how how in Christ we are made holy, how by the Spirit we are sanctified, and and it's just wonderful news, and and we have great, great news in in the book of Romans. And, And so Paul kind of draws to an end and begins to kind of pull all these threads together and talk about community life. What does it mean? then for us to live these things together. And so Paul opens this chapter by talking about welcoming one another and about accepting one another. We, we talked last couple of weeks about hospitality, about welcome, about, about welcoming others into the fold of God and, and all sorts of things like that. But, but Paul begins to get to the nitty gritty of what it means to live life together. And Paul does this by giving this example of saying, welcome even those who are weaker in the faith, but not for the purpose of arguing with one another. Now, some of you may know this about me. Some of you may not because I've matured as I've gotten older, at least in this particular area, is I I like to argue. I really, really, really like to argue. Like it is, it's not just um, because I like getting behind my opinions. It's just like a sport to me. 
Like, I, I can argue just about anything with just about anyone and, and take just about any side. One of the, the gifts of my personality is I can see lots of different sides to lots of different things. And so, so I, I can argue, and I love to argue. Um, and again, I think I've gotten better at this as I've grown older. But when I was younger, I was, yeah, I'm going to say, I was fairly insufferable with my arguing. Um, my parents were just here a couple of weeks ago. Maybe you can ask them next. They're going to be here for Christmas. So if you want to ask them if they got really, really annoyed with this particular trait in me when I was young, um, you could ask them. Um, they might watch this. They might send in a comment card and just confirm it today. I don't know. Um, but there was one particular instance that always, or that came back to my mind when my parents were visiting um, over the Labor Day weekend. Uh, and so let me just set the scene for you. So I, I was in Estes Park with my family. Now, Estes Park is right outside of Rocky Mountain National Park. Beautiful place. My, my grandmother owned a cabin just kind of on the other side of Rocky Mountain National Park. And, and so we spent a lot of time in Estes Park. And we happened to be in Estes Park on one afternoon, and we were looking for a place to eat lunch. Um, Pre-internet, well, at least pre smartphone, so we couldn't look it up. And so we were just kind of driving up and down the streets of Estes Park, and my parents looked over, and they saw this sign for a place that's, it's called Ed's Cantina. Now, I had listened to enough Westerns and took enough rudimentary Spanish by the time I was, I don't know, 14 at the time, maybe, that I knew Cantina was something like bar in Spanish. Now, as I've thought about it more and more, I may have been wronger and more wrong in my estimation of what a cantina was. But, but again, I knew some Spanish, and I listened to a lot of Westerns, and they would always go to the cantina and get a drink, right? So, so my parents said, let's go to Ed's Cantina. And, and I, I, being the know-it-all I was, and the person who loved to argue, I said, you know that a cantina is a bar, right? And my parents said, no, it's not a bar. <laughs> That's a newer sign, Tina. Actually, I don't know. I honestly, I don't, I don't remember seeing the sign when I was there. But remember, I love to argue. <laughs> She's arguing with me. That's okay. I don't mind. Right. Remember, I, I love to argue. And so it, the, my point wasn't we shouldn't go eat at a place that has a bar in it. That, that actually wasn't my, my bother. It was more that my parents said, no, it's not a bar. And I was right. Cantinas are bars, right? And so we were arguing and we were arguing. And so finally we went in and guess what? There's a bar in Ed's Cantina. I was right. Sort of. As Tina noted, it's a bar and grill. The, the reason I'm telling you this story and the reason it came up to me is because I was on Twitter and there's a guy I follow on Twitter. He's a pastor in St. Joseph, Missouri, and he posted this picture from Ed's Cantina in Estes Park, Colorado. This is him and his staff enjoying a nice meal at a table, not a bar, at Ed's Cantina. I like to argue. And I like to argue about just about anything. But, but again, there are things that are very, very deep-seated in my heart and in my soul that I think are very important that I especially like to argue about. Some things I'll argue. Like, you, you could bring a topic, I'll argue it with you and be fine whether I come down on a side or not. But there are some things in my life, particularly related to my faith, that I believe very, very, very deeply and very, very strongly. There, there are things that I will go to the mat for, that I will argue with you up and down for. And those aren't always things that are central or essential to our faith. They mean a lot to me. But there are things that are not central. They're what we might call disputable matters. 
And that's what we're dealing with here today. Now, I want to be very, very clear. What Paul is talking about is not things like, is Jesus the Savior? That's not an opinion over which Paul will say we can argue and be okay on either side. Right? Paul will say, at least within the church, right, the worshiping community, this is not an opinion we argue about. This is the, the foundation of our faith. Paul will not say we can argue about whether or not Christ died and rose again. There's a couple other things that Paul will say, yeah, we don't get to argue about that. That's not something that, that is debatable. That's not something that we sort of live and let live. If we go back to Paul's writings here in Romans, what does Paul say is central to the Christian faith? You might remember it. I did a sermon on it. Okay, I won't quiz you. He basically says, if you believe in your heart that God rose Christ from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Those two things are what Paul considers, at least what he has said in Romans thus far, as central and not debatable, right? You're a Christian if you do those things, and you are not if you're not, right? Paul doesn't get down on people who don't. He just says, you're just not a Christian if you don't confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God rose Christ from the dead. And and so Paul is now talking about, okay, so how does it work out in our lives? Because there are lots of implications with believing Jesus is Lord, right? If we believe Jesus is Lord, it means Jesus' word is law. That's what we do. What Jesus tells us to do, we do. There's a lot of implications about that, right? There's a lot of implications in our lives, in our practice that say, well, how do we respond as people, as a holy people called to to follow Jesus in those ways? And Paul just mentions just two of the things that sort of get in the way of this kind of fellowship with one another, or two things that that people tend to argue about in the church. Uh, Those two things that Paul mentions are uh, days on which to worship and eating particular types of food. Now, those are just two instances that people might get together to argue about. But we have to remember what what Paul desires deeply in Romans in particular is that the church enjoy, remember, genuine fellowship and genuine love with one another. Right? So, So he's talking about welcoming others. He's talking about bringing other people into your homes. He's talking about eating with and enjoying this kind of common life with folks. And even... He acknowledged that some people are stronger in their faith, have, have sort of deeper or, or more settled convictions than others. But Paul recognizes human nature enough to know that our tendency is sometimes to welcome others for the purpose of converting them to our opinions. I don't know if you've ever done this or been party to this. But we have a tendency to want to win people over to our side. I mean, Facebook exhibit A, Twitter exhibit B, right? You can say something innocuous on either of those platforms. There's many others. Those are just the two that I come to mind. And someone will try to tell you you're wrong and convert you to their side. I could say the sky is blue. And someone might say, well, technically... The sky isn't blue. That's just the refracted color of the sky, right? You know, atmosphere gets refracted and, and we just see blue, right? But in the church, especially when we have deeply held convictions, Paul says we need to be genuinely open and have fellowship and welcoming common life, common love, genuine love and affection for one another, but not for the purpose of telling people they're wrong. This is what came to my mind. Some of you may be familiar with 
this particular meme, but Right? So, so Paul basically says, you don't gather people together, you don't welcome others, particularly those you disagree with, so that you can sit them down and tell them everything that's wrong with them. We don't gather people in and welcome them for the particular purpose of telling them all the reasons why we think they are wrong and we are right. Paul says, welcome the weak in the faith, but not for the sake of arguing about opinions. So the two things Paul mentions, the first thing that Paul mentions is food. Now, if we were to kind of turn back and look back in our Bibles and Acts and, and look at some of the things that the early church talked about when it came to eating, right? So there was only a couple dif- different stipulations that, that the early church, like in Acts 10, said were necessary for Gentiles who weren't Jews to have fellowship, common life, koinonia with Jews in the context of the church. So basically what they said is we won't put any other restrictions on them besides the confessing Jesus as Lord and believing that God rose Christ from the dead. So the only other things we will tell people for the sake of our common life together is that pagans coming in not eat meat with blood in it or meat that has been sacrificed to idols or engage in sexual immorality. Oftentimes that was within the ideas and within the realm of temple worship, of pagan worship. Those are the two things said. But but the early church did say, don't eat meat with blood in it. Meats have been strangled, sacrificed idols. So meat and food was an issue. And so that meant that within the Christian church, particularly as, as pagans came in, some of them said, well, I'm not going to eat meat at all. Vegetarian is the way to go. Because we don't know what, where this meat has been offered. We don't know how it's been killed. We don't know if it's... This is the real term kosher or not, right? We, we don't know if it's acceptable to eat. And so out of abundance of caution, we believe that God says just we won't eat meat and we're going to eat vegetables only. There were other folks in the Christian church. In fact, kind of like Paul himself, Paul advocates for this position later in Romans and then in 1 Corinthians. He says, we know that idols are nothing. Right? Those idols, they're just wood, they're just stone. And so when someone makes a sacrifice to an idol, it, it's nothing. It's not God. We believe there is one God, Christ, God, the, the Trinity, right? We believe that is true and, and these things are nothing. And so, so what if someone killed a, an animal in, in honor of that piece of wood? It's just a piece of wood, right? So we can eat anything. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians. And so we have this kind of duality here, this, this debate between, well, should we or shouldn't we? And you can imagine how that would go over in a group of people who have differing opinions. I mean, I'm looking around this room. I know some of your opinions. I know we differ on a lot of different things. And I know some of you, we've gotten in some debates and talks over. And Paul's saying, guess what? When we get together, when we welcome one another, let's not do so to try to convince others to believe like we believe on these opinion matters. And Paul points to something very, very specific in this. Paul says, you are not their master. They have a master. In fact, you have the same master. He says, how can you pass judgment on the one who serves another? So Paul talks about meat. And, and again, this is not a small issue. I just want to like, make sure we know this. This is not small. This is not a peripheral issue for many people in the Christian church. This is big. This is important. 
right? This is something that, that people have apparently gone to the mats for, right? That Paul is, is bringing it up because it's important. It's not a trifle. It's not a trifle for him and it's not a trifle for others. He has a very libertine opinion on it, right? Who cares? It's just meat and there is no God but God. So let's eat in honor of God. But Paul recognizes there are others who don't agree with that opinion. And so Paul says to the strong, don't tell the weak that they have to believe like you do. And then Paul conversely will tell the weak, you don't have to, the strong don't have to believe and behave like you do. Because you're not their master and they're not yours. Your master is Christ in Christ alone. You serve him, you stand or you fall by him. And so then Paul goes on and he talks about a particular worship days in the calendar. And again, this is, this is a thing that it's a little less important to us now. But, but again, this, this might be for a contemporary analogy. If we said, hey, we're moving worship, our main worship service of the church from Sunday to Wednesday, and we're not going to do Sunday anymore. That would be a big, de- big deal for lots of people in the church worldwide. Now, There's nowhere in scripture that Jesus says you must therefore worship on Sunday. But some of us hold it very, very sacred. I don't know what I would do with myself if I didn't have church on Sunday. It would be hard for me to break that. It's important to me. But you might say it's not of ultimate importance. And so Paul says, some believe you should worship on this day. And and others would say, well, every day is holy, right? If God made, if God made Sunday, God made Monday through Saturday as well. And so if God made every day, then every day is appropriate and holy on which to worship and give thanks to God and to lift up God. It doesn't matter when we meet the important things that God has called us together in genuine community to meet, to worship, to encourage one another, to exercise our gifts, all that stuff. And again, Paul will point out, you're not the master. Christ is our master. And it is by him that we stand or we fall. One of the more interesting things about this is if we extend it beyond these two issues, it's hard to really know who the weak and the strong are in this analogy. Now, the first one says that the, the strong are the ones who say, I can eat anything. But as Paul continues in this particular line of thinking, that, that sort of the, the, the hard and fast definitions of who's right and who's wrong or who's weak and who's strong, um, they kind of go away. And it's not to say it's not there. It's just I think that for Paul, it loses importance on who is what. Because I don't know about you, but my first reaction is, well, my convictions are the right ones. I'm the strong, Right. I'm the strong one, and it's the other people who disagree with me who are weak. Now, I mean, I won't ask for, for hands, but would anyone else confess, at least in their mind, that, that that's often the case that we find ourselves in? Right, that we believe we're the strong ones, and the people who disagree with us are weak for with this, that, or the other thing. They're, they're loose on morality, or whatever it might be, right? But Paul wants us to get out of this thinking of saying, I am right, you're wrong, no matter who we are. And help us move into this idea that, that lies at the root of what Paul is saying is that the real issue is we are not to judge our brothers and sisters. 
we're not to stand over them and say, you are right in following God or you are wrong in following God the way you do. That is not our job. And that's what Paul says here. If the next time you go to a friend's house, or let's put it this way, the next time you invite somebody who you love and know over to your house, how would that go over if the first thing you said to them was, let me tell you why you're wrong, explain the ways, and tell you that unless you change your ways, God will judge you or whatever it might be. Now, I'm not going to pretend that some of you may not be going into that in friends or family. I don't know. But it's not fun. And it's certainly not conducive to genuine love and fellowship. Because it leaves us with the feeling that I will accept you and have fellowship with you if. If you believe like me. Now, I'd like to think I have some things right in my beliefs. I also like to think that I have some things that are essential in my beliefs to what it means to be a Christian. But I am often presented with the question of perhaps I think there are more of the things that I deem as central than perhaps God does. I wonder that sometimes. Christ died and rose again, absolutely. Jesus is Lord and we follow him and him alone. Absolutely. And there's some stuff beyond that, but, but how much? How much should we be going to the mats for when it comes to our brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we welcome one another in order to tell them all the ways they're wrong? Or do we welcome so that we might enjoy genuine fellowship with one another and that we might together learn from God and follow Christ in the way we should go? I think it's important that Paul doesn't say that anything goes. Paul doesn't say that. Part of what Paul reminds us is that we're not really good at judging one another. And when I say we're not really good, we don't do it very well. I mean, we do it. Don't get me wrong, right? I mean, I've done it. But we don't do it well. And the reason for that is because we were never meant to. We are not meant to judge our brothers and sisters, make declarative statements about whether they're in or whether they're out. We're not called to be gatekeepers. You want to know why? We are not the Lord of anyone else. We're not the Lord of anyone else. I'm not even the Lord of myself if I take my Christian convictions seriously. So I don't have a right to judge one who serves not me. And so Paul says, welcome people. Have fellowship with people. And remember, Jesus is Lord, not me. Paul reminds us, we will be held account, right? The the last thing, each of us must stand before God ultimately, right? I must stand before God. And so I must take responsibility for what I believe in my heart is right and wrong. And what I believe Christ has called me to do. You are as well. But I don't have the right to dictate to you what Jesus says to you. 
Now, that may come off as a little wishy-washy, and I hope it doesn't. But what I just think is so important for us to remember is we don't get to determine who sits at Jesus' table. We don't get to. It's not our right. It's not our job. And to me, we don't, we don't have to have the weight of determining who gets to sit at Jesus' table. Because for me, that's a hefty responsibility. If I were the one who determined whether or not others sat at Jesus' table, things wouldn't be great. It's not my right. Christ has freed us from that. We don't have to be gatekeepers. We can show genuine love and compassion and care for those who believe in their heart and confess with their mouths and everyone else for that matter that Jesus is Lord. And we can have true fellowship in the church even when we disagree on these so-called disputable and debatable matters. Whatever they may be. And there's lots of them out there. Democrat, Republican. That can get us in trouble in the church. I won't go into that. I might a little. I used to think you couldn't be a Democrat and be a Christian. I think that's wrong now, but I used to believe that way. For me, Christ has freed me from that responsibility of having to determine. And so though I may disagree, and we disagree sometimes, right? I know some of you sit out there sometimes and go, yeah, I'm not sure I agree with that. And guess what? It's not by my opinion that you stand or fall. Or even my well-researched opinions that you stand or fall. It is by Christ that you stand or fall. And it's by Christ that I stand or fall as well. And so we can welcome one another, encouraging one another to grow in the faith. If I'm wrong, I'm perfectly okay with you saying, I'm not sure I agree with that. And we can talk about it and encourage one another into fidelity with Jesus Christ. And we can be free to have genuine fellowship without the responsibility of making sure everyone believes like we do or like I do. For me, that's the holy art of minding our own business. It's not saying these things are unimportant. I don't think Paul would say they're unimportant. I think Paul would say it is not worth dividing over. That there are these things that, that we believe very deeply, but they're not worth dividing and fighting and excommunicating one another over. Again, Paul will talk about some of those things. I mean, 1 Corinthians, he's got some things on the list. But he's saying it's probably the list is shorter than we tend to make it. And again, for me, the, the point and, and where I really get in on this is that it's not my table. It's Jesus' table. If we think about sort of like entrance and, and participation in the Christian community as what we do when we celebrate communion, we have to remember, it's not my table. It's, as pastor of the church, it's not my table. I don't get to tell Jesus who gets to come and who doesn't. He gets to tell me. Because I'm not the Lord of anybody. 
He is. And it's by him that we stand or fall. And yes, I have to be strong to convictions that I have. You should too. If you believe Jesus is telling you something, live by that. But we don't get the right to impose what Jesus asks us to do on these disputable matters on other people. And it frees us again to open our arms wide in fellowship with people who we may not agree with. To be able to to have genuine community and love and yes, lively discussions about theology, those are good. But we don't welcome others and open our homes and open our spaces so that we can tell other people they're wrong. We do it so that we might enjoy being called by Christ together. And that we might together work out our faith in fear and in trembling. Our text sort of ends at a a very sort of abrupt spot, right? It's by him that we rise and we fall and we each will be held account. But you know what Paul does as he goes on? Paul's not willing to say, just don't judge one another. You know what Paul says? He says, guess what maybe we ought to do is when we welcome the weak, we ought to just consider what they want. So Paul says, you know, it might be that you have someone into your home and and they're vegetarian and they don't want to eat meat. And Paul says, not only can you not quibble about it, but guess what? You can just abstain for yourself out of love for that other person. I mean, think of how amazing and just how mind-blowing this is. Not only tolerate one another, but actively love your neighbor. Give of yourself for them. Again, he says the strong who have these sort of convictions that maybe lots of things are permissible, but, but, but Paul will say, guess what? If we need to, if it means that that person will be, will be hurt or harmed, we, we actually curtail our own freedoms for the sake of another person. I don't know if that blows your mind, but it blows mind. It it makes me recall a passage that I talk about often that in love, we ought to consider others not just as equal, but as more important than ourselves. So that we might have in our minds the same mind that was in Jesus Christ, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited for his own benefit, but rather he emptied himself and made himself nothing that he might serve the very people he came to save. That blows my mind. And reminds me again that the table doesn't belong to me. The table belongs to him. And I am freed from the responsibility of deciding who has a seat. For as we say in our communion, Mitchell, for those who who sincerely desire the gifts that God has come to give in Jesus Christ, in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The table is for us. What good news. What freeing news for us. We don't have to be judge. We can be brothers and sisters. We can welcome one another. Not for the sake of arguing, but for the sake of of fellowship, of community, of encouraging one another on to good work in Christ. 
to me, this is good news. It's hard news, but it's good news. Because I like to argue. And part of why I like to argue is I like to be right. Do you? Do you like to be right? I mean, I... But, but some of this is, is Paul saying, guess what? Give up your right even to be right for the sake of love and fellowship and for the sake of welcoming others who serve the same Lord you do. And so, dear friends, love one another. As Christ has loved you, love one another. For this is what ought to mark the church as different. You will go anywhere else and we are welcomed. I, I get 15 emails a day about why I, it's a matter of life and death to support a particular political pan- candidate. Everywhere else in the world, people are saying this is right and trying to convince and argue with us on why. Is it possible we can just say, Let's love one another. Let's follow Jesus with all we are. Let's not quibble. Let's not argue. Let's not gatekeep. But let's sit down at his table and allow him to teach us what is right and what is good. The vision of the future that the prophets often talk about and one that particularly stands out in my mind is Isaiah who says, in the latter days it shall be that the the mountain of the Lord's house will be raised above every other nation. And instead of settling dispute by war, the nations will say, let us go to the house of the Lord. Imagine what it would be if we just said, let's let God settle this one. For I am not the Lord. He is. And as we live and as we work with and alongside one another, we allow him to form us and transform us into his image as we spur one another on to good work. It's not my table. It's his. So brothers and sisters, let us love one another. The worship team is going to come back up and we're going to sing a final song. And I have to be honest, this text has messed me up the last couple weeks. Like in all the good ways that that the Bible should. It's got me asking all sorts of questions. It's got me just tied up in knots about where I have welcomed others for the sake of converting them to my opinions. Of arguing over things that, that though important, ultimately are not what is central. Now it's my job to teach what I think is best same time to recognize that God is working in and through us all and we come together that we might follow him together and as messily as we might do it to walk in his ways. So brothers and sisters, let's welcome one another. Let's let it be his table and not ours. And let us sing of the love of the Father that has called us from some very dark places into his kingdom of light.